Hi, I'm Justin King, and welcome to the Blue Chip Academy. As a five-star recruit, all-Big Ten corner, NFL vet, and Power 5 recruiting coordinator, I understand the emotions that go along with the recruiting process. The Blue Chip Academy is here to provide education, critical insights, and mentorship through the recruiting process for families and athletes alike. When athletes and their families have proper education and guidance, they're able to make better decisions and set themselves up for long-term success. Blue Chip Academy provides the resources and information that empowers athletes to create their own blue chip blueprint and take ownership of their careers. Blue Chip Academy exists because when athletes and their families are armed with the right information, they're able to make the decisions for themselves that positively impact their future. Again, I'll be your host, Justin King, and welcome to Blue Chip Academy. Welcome to Blue Chip Academy, the Blueprints of Success interview series, providing unique blueprints, tactical knowledge, and best practices to navigate critical points in the football ecosystem so athletes and parents can prepare a plan to a career path that any athlete can bank on. Today, our episode is going to be featuring XFL Senior Vice President of Player Personnel, Doug Whaley. Um, You know, Doug is a Pittsburgh native, former general manager of the Buffalo Bills with 22 years of NFL executive experience. Uh, from Upper St. Clair, played DB at the University of Pittsburgh. During his NFL tenure as a personnel, as a personnel executive, he led the Pittsburgh, per, Pittsburgh Steelers personnel department from 2000 to 2010. And in that time, I was growing up, you know, won two Super Bowls. Some may know Doug brought me onto the XFL 2.0 and really gave me another access point in the football ecosystem to expand my view. So Doug comes up play, as a player also and mastered the different critical aspects of the game from a player transition to a scout and always all the way up to a general manager. So we'd like to welcome today our guest, Doug Whaley. Appreciate you having me, JK. Excited to be on the blueprint, man. I've been following you uh, on social media and everything you do, and I'm excited that uh, you'd even have uh, me on as a guest. Oh, man. Thanks for joining us, man. You have a lot of critical insights, a lot of knowledge in this game, and just want to share it with, you know, the listeners, the viewers, and everybody that's kind of coming up. You know, everybody has dreams of whether playing in the NFL or becoming a general manager, working in football in some different type of way. And you've been able to see, you know, a lot of different critical views from different vantage points, which is very critical, right, When for guys coming in having a plan to go on. So if we're getting started, for any aspiring person that wants to get into sports business, woman, man, what would be one piece of advice that you would give to them that they can bank on throughout the whole ecosystem? The, the, the advice that I would give is the exact same advice, advice I got when I first broke in. And it is whatever job you have or in the football ecosystem, be it an intern, entry level, or whatever it is, and maybe even a field that is not the desired field you want to end up is do the best job you can do and help that team win. Everything else is going to take care of itself. Because what happens is in the football ecosystem and maybe even in the business world, I haven't been in it that long to know, but you're always being evaluated and you may not even know you're being evaluated. And a reputation's easy to gain, but hard to live down. And if you have that reputation of someone that's going to work take their assignment, grind, and try to shine at what you're doing and not looking for that next job. Because a lot of people today and younger people are wanting to go from intern to general manager right off the bat. Gotcha. You have to. The biggest issue is you have to learn and and every step of climbing that ladder, you're going to gain experience and knowledge because the higher you get up in any field, 
the less actual work you're going to be doing that got you there. Wow. Does that make sense? That so makes as a, lot a scout, of sense. yeah, as a scout, I'm on the road grinding at a different hotel every night, writing a bunch of reports. But when I get to the general manager, there's so many other things that I have to deal with. My decision-making is based on experience and the information given to me from others. So if you don't have that experience banked, then you're going to be at a disadvantage when you're trying to make those critical decisions. Wow, that's a great insight. That's that's very good for people to need to bank on, just understanding what you're, what you're going and making the most out of the situations that you're in and mastering those, those roles, right? Whether you're coming in as an intern, coming in as an ops assistant, like learn the intricacies and master that and bring instant value. It's kind of what I heard from, uh, from Doug there. So as we transition to like, you know, we start about the first critical points in the football ecosystem or the business of football, I always think is intro into the recruiting process. So if we mm-hmm. can just take a, take a, you know, flash, step into the time machine, flat, take a step back to <laughs> upper St. Clair days. Let's go to your recruiting process. <laughs> yeah. Well, how, it, it's how a, was your, that, how was your experience? It, it was, it was, it was good. I mean, first of all, to be in a position to be recruited, you're truly blessed. A lot of people would love to be there. And obviously you, you deal with a lot of students and student athletes that are trying to get there. There's some that aren't going to get recruited and some that are going to be highly recruited. Uh, the time machine's got to go all the way back to 1990 that back then there was no, no social media. So the phone ringing at dinner time was just, that was just commonplace. And so I learned to eat a little later, uh, back then unofficial visits were just really starting to come into vogue. So I took one unofficial visit, but she had five official visits and those were the, the meat of the, the recruiting process. And then in home visits from coaches, obviously you'd see them at the schools, which uh, they're still doing today, but in home coming for dinner, that was the major process for me. I had a little background in it because I had an older brother. He was five years older than me and he went through the recruiting process when he was in high school, uh, before we moved to here to Pittsburgh. So I had a basis of it. And then my dad also played at the uh, West point and army and he started at Michigan state and, uh, transferred to army. So, uh, I had a family that at least let me know what to expect. But I also was blessed with a family that says, this is your journey. You, uh, we can give you advice of things to pay attention to and to consider. But in, in the end of it, it has to be your decision. That's, that's a critical piece that you're talking about when it's just like letting you guide your, like letting you pick your journey and how to go through it. But at the same time, you always, I mean, when I was recruiting, you could, you could tell the difference in families that had an older sibling that kind of went through the process. You know, they kind of knew mm-hmm. what corners to look around, whatever the case may be, but there was two ways that they could take it. Whether it was, we know everything because we've been there. So like, whether it's skeptical here or there, or there, and we're going to push our kid this way. And there's the other way where it's like having a baseline and kind of moving the furniture and like, okay, Doug, go, go your way. And this is, these are kind of the parameters so you don't fall off the ledge, but find your path mm-hmm. to where you want to succeed. I think that's I think critical that's, for yeah. parents. Yeah. And like you you're saying, push kids to different places, right? No, doubt. and I think it, it it helps build that decision making ability in players and and kids and young adults earlier. And and what my parents now that I've gotten older and become a parent is basically they just said, you teach them the concepts of critical thinking and decision making and problem solving, and 
let them go and learn. I mean, that's the best way to learn in life is you're going to have some successions, your successes, and you're going to have some failures, but you learn from both of them and you get to be better as a person within any circumstance. hundred percent. That's, that's, that's so critical. Just understanding the exercising the critical thinking skills as a teenager that like helps go along with the maturation process for the environment that you're going to be in. Right. Cause you can't treat them like a kid. And then all of a sudden, 17 year old, 17, 18, you're in college campus and you're supposed to act like an adult. It's like, you gotta, you gotta help, you know, along the path with that. That's, that's important. Cause I, I kind of feel like I had a similar experience on that aspect. When th- for you, when did you feel like the process was serious? Like first so, offer, like when did that happen? For me, it really didn't get serious. I was what they would say a late bloomer. I started as a sophomore, but when I was my senior year and junior year, I started uh, wide receiver as a sophomore, outside linebacker, uh, slot receiver as a junior. And then my senior year, I moved to fullback. So junior year, I was getting a little uh, hits here and there, mostly uh, Patriot League, Ivy League schools, a couple D1 schools. But when I got in my senior year, our tailback, P2B, got hurt. And then I my last from our last two games of the regular season all the way to the state championship, I had a meteoric rise, and I had two 300-yard games. I ended up with, like, 28 touchdowns, 9.8 yards per carry. So that's okay. when the flood of things started coming in because I was really took advantage of my opportunity. And that's right, one of right, those right. things. You you never know when that opportunity is going to come, and you've got to be ready. That, there's that old saying and that cliche, don't get ready always be ready and Absolutely. it was and my opportunity came i took advantage i really got serious after uh, my senior year we won the states we were fourth in the nation one undefeated and like i said with that playoff run in the end of the season that's when things started getting serious and uh schools that hadn't come in started to come in and i started getting letters from other schools that uh w- weren't existent uh, at the beginning of the year oh that's it that's 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 really cool you mean when it starts to trickle in and then it's like, oh, here's all the offers. Everybody's interested once you, you know, put on a show. We always talk about the different things and the different points when recruiting. And then, you know, the film is always the thing that kind of pushes over the edge. Were you a multi-sport athlete? Yes. Yes. I was, uh, I wrestled up until uh, my junior year. And that's when I was like, oh man, even though I'm not cutting weight, I'd always wrestle up. It, it's just that is one of the toughest sports. I any wrestler, I tip my hat to. So wrestling, MMA, and boxing. I've tried boxing and wrestling, MMA. I, I'm all right. I'm too old for that. But that <laughs> sport, it teaches you. You want to talk about mental toughness? That is where I think I got my mental toughness from, because wrestling. it's yes, it's wrestling. Because as physical of a sport it is. The mental tactician part of it is just as important. And the physical nature of the sport and how what you have to do to stay in shape, it was it was taxing. And it's just very hard to keep weight. And I knew at any sport, football was going to be my my way to go to in college. So right. I did that till junior year, but I also ran track, ran four by one, the one uh long jump and triple jump. Okay, so there's track, wrestling, and football. That's a pretty interesting combination, especially for a college DB. You guys listening, 
or, you know, he play, he wrestles. So he talk about mental yeah. toughness and toughness. Cause I always think of that coming from track for me, right. When I talk to skill guys and you typically hear linemen and defensive linemen, yo, you know, wrestle, you see those guys, but from a DB, you know, you gotta be feisty, you gotta be tough. And we said like the tactical aspects of it, cause I always thought in track, it helps you focus on your own race, right. No matter what kind of racing mm-hmm. against the clock, learning how to run and those things kind of lent well for me and, and football. So that's, multi-sports guys, you know, different things that have transferable skills. You mentioned earlier that you were informed based on an older uh, brother going through the process. When you were actually going through, what were you basing your decision on? And that, that goes back to what my dad said. He, he, he said, hey, listen, go and don't get in, enthralled or captivated by your recruiting coach. And the coaching staff, and because those guys can leave, they could get fired. They could leave right after that. And he said, "The only thing I'm going to tell you is, pick a school that you feel comfortable staying if football is taken away from you." And he said, "If if don't base it on football. Obviously, you're narrowing it down because of the football and the people that you uh, are connecting with your recruiting coach. That's going to narrow the." job the 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 scope to your your five best choices that for you but he said once you get narrowed down to that then pick that school like i said where if you blow out your knee and all the coaches get fired you're going to be okay i'm still cool here so that was the best advice i got and then uh another piece of advice i got is actually ended up being my college roommate he was from bethel park he was a kicker Ted D'Alessandro. And he said, he goes, look, think about it this way, Doug. Think about life after football. Think about where you can go, where it is an easy transition. Obviously you want to trip playing a league, but even if you play in a league, where can you sow enough seeds and put enough roots that you can come back and then you can perpetuate the rest of your life. So I took, those were my two major decision-making thoughts when I decided my my school. That's big because when we have a blue chip checklist that helps guys kind of go through the different metric or checkpoints, what they need to look for when choosing a school. And the number one thing that we say is the university for all the reasons that you said. It's like if football is taken away, there's an ecosystem that you're going to be a part of that that you can benefit off of, whether it's the alumni base, coming back to the school, working there, your friends, where you're locally known. Now when you talk about NIL opportunities and college sports, that's another avenue of your personal brand and where you're attached to. So that's big because you talk about your decision being a 30 to 40 year decision. And like you said, not getting enthralled by the big uh, training facilities or the coaches showing you your jersey and telling you that you're the best ever. But like, actually, what is this decision based on? It really speeds up the maturation process. Like you said, that critical thinking, if you give the opportunity to the kid to use that experience that way. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, that's really cool right there. Were you thinking about your post football career? I know you said you were thinking about education and whatever it was, but were you thinking about being an executive when you were going through the recruiting process? No, not at all. When I, when I went through uh, the recruiting process, it was obviously football was the decision. And at first I wasn't really thinking about being an executive. Obviously I was thinking league first, but the second part of it, I had to, thoughts of after football, what I would do. And one would, it was going to be a stockbroker and the other was going to be a shrink. 
And then once I got into college <laughs> and I started investigating those uh, avenues, I realized that to be a, a shrink, you got to go to medical school. So I was like, all right, looks like I'm going to be a stockbroker then because <laughs> I ain't going to those four more years of school. <laughs> right, right. Oh, but that's yeah, good. It, it was, yeah, it was one of those things. I, I, I never thought about being an executive. I was like, I'm going to be a stockbroker. And it's funny you say that because like you transition into it, like general manager, front office type of role. And it kind of is, it's a little bit, if you have a little parallel thinking, it's a little bit of a stockbroker and shrink, right? You're looking at stocks and the value of players oh, yeah. going up and down and you're trying to see what they're made of internally. So it kind of all works out when it comes back into the football thing. So we can trans, that's, that's awesome. So we transitioning into like uh, your evaluation, go ahead. I thought you were going to say no, something. I was going to say, I never thought about it. No, I was going to say, I never thought about it that way. But when you said that, it, it clicked. It is. It's asset management and asset valuation. And then also you got to talk and be able to get into the heads and thought process it and find out what make people tick and be able to craft that message to be the coach to say, this is what we need to do. And this is the value of the player to a player saying, hey, we're we're drafting you, but what we what do I need to present to you to make you try to excel, even though you have a lot of variables and circumstances off the field that may affect what you do on the field. Absolutely, man. That's that's that, that's that's amazing stuff because I draw the parallel the parallel things. My interest was in sports psychology, so it was like always kind of same thing where it's like ah going to school, being a doctor, but I'm like coming up through the game. I'm like, this is the piece that you start seeing that separates kind of what you're talking about. Like, how are people taking when you're talking about competition? Football is a very unique sport where, you know, there's there's physical will imposed on a consistent basis where you can see the internal aspects of a guy like pretty quick when you're up close. So putting the, some technicals to that is always key. So as we transition into your, you know, to your time as a scout and executive, what's the main trait that catches your attention when evaluating college players? Like you just take me back to your scouting days, you're on the road, you know, going through that well, whole situation. I, I, the first thing you have to really look at are things that you can't coach or you can't teach. And that's basically the height, weight, and speed. Now I say that as in <clears throat> that just is the first check mark, height, weight, speed. And then I look into athleticism. So those are the baselines. Now, I also say that to say that if you don't have one of those traits or you're not top tier or top percentile in one of those traits or all of those traits, doesn't mean that you're going to be discounted right off the bat. It just means that you have to have something in other areas to make up for that. Because we all know if speed wins, size wins, speed and size dominate. So but again, there are other avenues to get to where you need to go, but you have to have something to compensate for the the, the deficiencies in those areas. Most definitely, because the next question that you kind of took the answer right out of my mouth was like, how important are size and speed standards? And I talk about the NFL, like there's a baseline of when you're trying to get to a certain aspect that players need to be a certain size and speed. And sometimes for parents, you know, we talk about the recruiting process. You get a lot of pushback on like, well, so-and-so is not this big. And they pull out the anomalies or the purple dots that I like to call them, right? The guys that you say that maybe don't fit the size speed standards, but have a different uh, redeeming quality that makes them special, right? There's a lot right. of different guys like that. I used to think of when I was at Penn State, KJ Hamler was a, was a guy like yeah. that. It was like small, yeah. undersized, but he gets the ball. 
you know, it's lightning in a bottle. <laughs> so but, you answered the next but also, But I was going to say, with that next question, you can't, and there are anomalies like a KJ Hamler, but you can't have a team full of those guys. So, gotcha. you know what I mean? It's a balancing act. <laughs> From a GM standpoint, oh, yeah, we got to get that guy, or we can have one, one or two of those guys, but you can't try to make a living and build a team off of a bunch of exceptions. So, you right. know what I'm saying? So, and, and it, it's just, it's the nature of the business. You choose to be in the football business, that's, that's the baseline, and, and you just can't get away from it. You can't. The exception to the rule cannot be the rule, or you're just going to be exactly. uh, right. You know what I mean? It just can't happen. Mm -hmm. so, uh, I don't know what you build with that, but <laughs> nothing good. So like, I know when we go through the process of evaluating and get to the point, do all your background research, and then there's a time where staffs come together and they're picking players, right? Like who you're going to draft. What is a, a out, uh, outlier trait that a player might have that make you want to stand on the table for a player? I know when we went through, we go through like recruit, like We'll offer guys and then we'll have a meeting where we'll take take the scholarship. And it's, you know, everybody's true feelings come out then. Like mm -hmm. it's people, he's tough, he's this, he's that. Oh, the speed we can land on. What is that thing for you for a player, like a 360 view that you would feel comfortable standing on a table? Like, I'm riding with him. Through through all my years, my last two or three years, myself and my assistant GM, Jim Bonus, came up with the trait we think is consistent through most guys that excel in the NFL or play at a high level on a consistent basis. Take away the whole resume because you look at the on-field performance, the height, weight, speed, make sure he's at least controllable off the field. But the one thing we thought about and said, when we go and talk about character, with our scouts, does he have that junkyard dog mentality? Mm -hmm. Is it's that mentality where failure is not an option? I want this no matter what, and that is that that it factor that you can't coach, and it's hard to develop. Most of the time, you either have it or you don't, and it's just that love of the game. And it's that love of the game to say that I, I'm, not, I'm not accepting failure. This is what I want to do. And that's, the, to me, obviously, you have to be a, a, a good football player. But that, right. that's, to me, what separates good football players from great football players, average football players from good football players, that junkyard dog mentality. I that is so that is a critical piece, man, that mentality aspect. We just talked about the 360, holistic you know, evaluation, whereas like guys, you know, want to work on the, the speed traits and all that good stuff, but there's a mentality or football mentality does exist because when guys get recruited, you're trying to figure that out from, you know, the, the earlier critical point, you're trying to figure that out from 14 to 18, kind of what is the mentality of this kid? Is it malleable enough to even be a good football player, right? Because, mm -hmm. or if it's just like, you know, it might be good enough just to help us get to a certain point in college, maybe not an NFL guy, but to that size speed standard, get us to a certain place. So that's, that's good critical information right there. How important is a live workout for you going through the evaluation process? I, for me, it has gotten less and less important. Um, obviously it's part of the total resume. Um, 
the biggest part is going to be the film and how they perform in game situations. Then you add into the off-field information you get from talking to coaches, assistant coaches, trainers, strength and conditioning people, equipment guy people. And then it's the workouts now. And I say it's become less and less important to me because people are training for these events. So back in the day, it was, oh, let me do a short shuttle. You didn't have all these speed camps and these off-season workouts and these uh, training facilities that teach you how to do the three cone, the short shuttle. So they train for these events. So for me now, when I go to a workout, I'm looking more at every, uh, like you say, the 360. All right. I don't care about the time. Let me see how he does what he does. Is he bending? Is he explosive? Is he trying to cheat the drill? Because then that's when I'm saying, well, if he's trying to cheat that, what else is he going to try to cheat? Then how is he interacting with his teammates? Is he a voice of helping them and encouraging them? How does he take coaching? Does it take him, especially when we go to position drills, does it take him one or two times to really get the, the idea of the drill down? Or can he take coaching from one rep and, and per perform that drill correctly? So to me, it's okay. Let's look at him as a player and how he does what he does and how he interacts in a competitive set setting with his teammates, knowing they're all trying to eat. So right. that's where that that's where I've switched my thought process to uh, in workouts. That's that's very interesting because you talk about the how versus the what, right? We talk about in any evaluation. A lot of times in high school, it's hard to separate because you might get a guy that might be a D two player with incredible numbers, right? So it's so the parent might think, you know, well, he has this many numbers, he has a thousand yards, he has sixteen hundred yards, but why does he have offers and why he doesn't? It's just like, well, it's not exactly what they're doing; it's how they do, how are they doing it, right? There's different traits that kind of come that you can see, and everything's not created equal, or all evaluations aren't either. So that's that's important on that lab evaluation tip. Costly mistake that you see prospects make going through the process, transitioning from college to the pros. The biggest costly mistake I see is everybody thinking the year they declare is the only thing that matters. That's the only thing we're going to judge and we're going to look at. And they don't understand that it's a complete resume. We're going to talk up to maybe your high school guidance counselor. We're going to talk to that assistant equipment guy that you used to throw your stuff down and say, you pick it up. I'm not picking it up. We're going to talk to the assistant trainer that you used to always say, hey, I'll be there for rehab. And then you were constantly late and they have to call. And so it's a total 300. And you, as you say, I wouldn't even say 360 view. It's a total view of the day you start playing this game. We're going to research and how you became to, to this point of saying, I think I'm ready to get to the NFL. And Nick Saban said it best. Cut out the butts and keep with the ands. Have more ands than butts. And it's one of those, yeah, he's fast, but he doesn't like to train. He likes to lift, but you have to get on him to come in and, and, and do it. But once you get him in, he's okay. So you want to get out. And we're looking at uh, butts will eliminate you, but ands, that, that pumps you up the board. So don't think just because it's your junior year or your senior year, that's the only thing 
scouts are going to look at. Nope, that's the complete resume. The complete resume, all the pixels that go into the process. And that's that's important because he's, he's talking about going through from college to the pros. And the same thing happens when you're talking, when you're going to the background of kind of the family dynamic. Can you talk a little bit about that when you go into the background of it? Because families can be assets to prospects as they're going through and they get those different critical skills and can kind of help or kind of hinder some situations. Can you just give a little insight of how much does a family's upbringing or family kind of go into the evaluation process? Well, it's, it's critical information you have to be aware of, no doubt about it. Um, but also with that said, you're aware of it, then that's when you say, okay, that's his family background. If it's not stable or uh, unique in a, a detrimental way, is it something that is defining who he is? Or is it something that's going to define how he's going to overcome his situation and where he came from? So it's not, even if it's a bad situation, doesn't mean that it's going to be a detriment or a knock against that player. And sometimes it's a very good situation. And sometimes you start saying, well, he's got a very stable and successful background, but they may have coddled him so much and he feels entitled. So good or bad, that background, we don't want, I'd rather it not define who you are, but it propels you to be the best per version of yourself. But it is something you definitely have to be aware of. Okay. That's, that's very true. I mean, just understanding, I try to let parents and families know as well. Like you're just, you're shaping, you're shaping the prospect and the kid as they're going through and setting them up with different things that you can't control in the football ecosystem. And you don't want to kind of hand, you do not want to handicap them while they're going through that. So it's just being an asset when you're a family, understanding what path, you know, your child's going on when they make that decision to kind of monetize and go after a career in football. So you're one of the few positions, I mean, being an executive, we always talk about different things with players and situations. And when it comes to coaches and evaluating coaches, kind of seems like the peanut gallery. No one really has a true essence of what it's like to evaluate coaches. So let's transition into that. What are some critical factors for you when you're looking at upcoming football coaches to kind of move up in the football ecosystem? My evaluation always starts with, is this guy, is he a coach or is he a teacher? Mm -hmm. And there's a difference. A coach is, hey, this is what I need you to learn. This is the system we're running. Let me get that person ready to do that, to achieve this goal and try to hot, play at a high level in the system. And, but a teacher is going to teach, hey, this is the concept of the game, and this is why we do what we do, and this is why if you understand this concept, you can play in this system, but also you know football. It's FBL, football intelligence, and you can transition to another system. Say we get fired or say I leave or we decide to transition to a different system. You can still understand and be able to function at a high level because you know concepts and you know football at heart. And I think nowadays, because the notoriety has gotten so big and important, the money has gotten so big and important, and the pressure has gotten so big and important, we're getting away from teachers. Mm -hmm. We're getting into coaches that are system-driven 
and they want to be the next Sean McVay or they want to have, oh, I'm a system driven guy. So this guy only fits my system. I can't coach another guy. And that to me is not a coach. That's a system driven guy. And that's and unfortunately, that's where we're leaning towards more than the coach, than the teachers, than the guys that say. And that's why Bill Belichick is the best. If you look at it, his game plans change constantly to exploit what you do the worst and protect what he does. And he's the most vulnerable, vulnerable, but he puts players in position that expect that accentuate their positives. And that's why I'll give you a quick story. Chad Brown, he was a second round pick out of Colorado for Steelers ends up going to Seattle, going to new England. And we get him maybe his last year or two. And I said, Hey, You've been with the Steelers. You came up, but you also been in New England. What's the difference? He said, the Steelers draft better players. New England drafts smarter players because every week that game plan could be different. It's not, oh, we're going to build off what we did in camp. It's like, okay, our guys can do this. Let's put them in that, that position to exploit that. So he said, every week you may have a different role, but all you needed to do was that one role. And that's what I was talking about, teachers. And that, that to me, and maybe I'm wrong, but that to me is how I evaluate coaches. I love how you pointed that out. I, I, the teacher versus a coach, because I like to break it down, you know, the X and O's guys versus the Jimmy's and Joe's guys, right? The guys that kind of mm-hmm. lean on my X's and O's, they kind of get stuck in their thing and just, they're just people. And you got the Jimmy's and Joe's guys where their matchups, kind of what you're saying, and it's a coach and understanding all the concepts. It's like, all right, my Jimmy's better than that, Joe. And I'm going to move my pieces that way. And I can change my stuff based on this and not a set system. Coach or teacher, which one are you? I mean, that's a lot of, that's a good piece that we talk about with coaches because as the industry has shifted, right? Sometimes we think that coaches got into the game for a calling and now it's kind of transitioned into a career. So evaluating the two mm-hmm. is a little different. So that's, that's very, that's very critical insight there. We're still going to transition into the, critical insights and specific knowledge when you made that transition from player to executive, but we're going to take a quick break. I'm going to do a quick read for uh, this episode's sponsor. One second. This episode is brought to you by LIG Sports Group, a football operations strategy and consulting group. And today we will be recognizing the specialty sourcing service for football and athletic departments and sports organizations. To maintain a top performing program, specialty positions within sports organizations must be sourced based on the best available talent in the country. LIG's systematic approach, intimate knowledge of the football industry, and extensive network enables us to deliver dynamic candidates for critical roles. The fast-paced industry and high-level sports, you never want to miss out on the best people and keeping your team at tip-top performing shape. And LIG is here with specialty sourcing to make sure that that all works together. Got you back. So now we're going to talk, get into it, and we're going to talk about just the transition from when you were on a, as a player and transitioning out to the role. It's kind of what you're, where you're in now, right? So how was the transition from the game for you? Well, I look at it this way. I'm a realist, and I think that was the first thought, first idea or trigger that I might, be an evaluator. I knew with my lack of size, average speed, that I was going to be one of those guys. If I hooked on it, have to be at the right situation. I'd be a special team backup player at best. 
Um, nowadays, I think I would have transitioned more because I, I'd be that uh, that nickel safety slash linebacker. So gotcha. I was I was I was I was ahead of my time. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But with that said, uh, once I, I I made up my mind quickly, it, it, once I didn't get invited to camp, I was deciding I'm not going to be that guy that year two, year three, still going to the, the pro day and trying to hook on. I was like, hey, it set it. Football had put me in a place where I got a free education, had some great memories, and now I can use it to springboard onto my next phase of life. Now, obviously, you miss a lot of things about football, and it was my dream, but I'm always one of those, as I said, realists. If that dream doesn't happen, that doesn't mean that the next chapter can't be your best chapter. And you, so you can use something like that to springboard into something else. And I, I said, well, okay, what else is out there? And then that's when I said, your original thought was, let's go be a stockbroker. All right, let's go. Put that plan in motion. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with it. Because the one thing I always tell people, especially when I was in the NFL and talking to high school kids going to college or even young college guys before they were being evaluated the pros is there's nothing wrong with playing football at a high level at high school and not making it to D1. And there's nothing wrong with being a D1 player and not making it to the NFL. There's a lot of people that don't even reach those milestones. But what is wrong is if you think you're a failure, if you don't make it to the NFL, no, your uh -huh. path is just different. Use and, and use the knowledge base you learn and those experiences and everything that got you to that level and use it in another field that can propel you to something even greater. Absolutely. Everybody footballs, everyone's football journey is different. Master yours. Like that's the, mm -hmm. that's the critical thing that through this whole blue chip Academy is understanding the compound critical insights that you get throughout the process. You're putting a lot of time in to go to college and maximizing just because you don't make it to the NFL on the field. doesn't mean that you can't have a successful life and career. And when you talk about the transition, I always talk about the first piece of the transition out is the awareness. You talk about being a realist and understanding like, all right, this isn't going to be it because that I think one thing that I've seen people that have successfully made the transition is they didn't get caught in that rigor mortis stage where it's like, I'm trying to work out, I'm waiting, I'm waiting into where like that gap kind of spreads and kind of jumps in to the next thing. So that's incredibly important. What were your first transition jobs? You transitioned out. And so you said you wanted to be a stockbroker. Did your college connections help you get into that role? Actually, it was uh, my my college and my high school connection. So um, a guy named Jay Marabelli played at Mount Lebanon, played at Delaware. We used to, when he'd come home in the summer, we'd work out together. And then when I got out, he said, I was telling him what I was going to do. And he said, well, a friend of mine I played with at Delaware, he works at a, a brokerage firm in New York. Send him your resume and he'll get you in. And I, I had, the resume was, it was just perfunctionary because he just needed a piece of paper. But he's like, hey, you pass your Series 7, Series 63, we'll sponsor you. You got a job. So it. it was one of those, that connection thing. And, and then while I was studying for my 7 and 63, I would go and help my high school coach, Jim Render, coach at, uh, in the evenings. So I'd study during the day, help him coach in the evenings. And then when I was there, the defensive coordinator, Jim Ingott, he used to coach with uh, Tom Donahoe when Donahoe was a coach at Seton LaSalle. 
Okay. And he said, what are you going to do? And I was telling him, I'm going to be a stockbroker. And he asked me, he goes, have you, what about coaching? And I got offered to be a GA at Penn. And I was like, ah, coaching, just not, not my cup of tea. It's not my type of part. And he says, right. have you ever thought about scouting and player evaluation? And here's my exact words. What's that? <laughs> and he said, he said, pro guys come in and scout the college guys to see, go to pros. I said, never thought about it. Never even heard of it. He said, well, send your resume to Tom Donahoe and tell him Jim got, you know, referred you. So I sent him uh, my resume and I got the form letter and I kept it for a long time until I got to be a general manager because I wrote that same form letter to a lot of people. Hey, thanks for the introduction. Thanks for the expressing interest. We'll keep your, your, your resume on file at this time. We just don't have anything. We will be in touch later if we have interest. Right. <laughs> so I can, I can read it like that, man. <laughs> no, that's so, so real, man. Yeah. I didn't think anything of it. And then was in New York for a whole year. And then one day my mom calls me. It was in the spring, uh, after the draft. And, and I remember her saying, some guy named Tom Donahoe from the Steelers called you, asked if you wanted to interview for an internship. So then oh, okay. the rest is history, man. The rest is history. After the internship, you just, I, that's the, that's the transition. And that's how it happens. But it, it happens when you kind of taking advantage of where you're at, right? You talked about yeah. that at the beginning of like making the most out of it. You use your connections, you're at Pitt, you use the connections, you go there and it's like the ecosystem within is you're still connected to upper St. Clair. Mm-hmm. Get the, you know, your football touch with uh, Jim Render in the evening, you're working on your next career. And then that opportunity comes, you just kind of take advantage of it. And that's kind of what guys sometimes need to recognize through the transition, because it happens to a lot when you transition out, you feel like, like sometimes you feel like a failure, right? I know when I got to the NFL, I wanted to play 10 years, you know, it's like you right. get out and it's, it's like, ah, oh, it's a hurt piece. And you feel like everyone else sees it that way. And it kind of, it slows you up because you don't really, know exactly what you want to jump into because you're used to doing things at a high confidence level. And that's just real critical insight of guys just trusting those steps and being where your feet are, man. That's, uh, that's really good there. So the next question, what attributes for like uh, for a player that's coming up through the ecosystem or through just football in general, and they, and they want to be a scout or a general manager, what can they, yeah, a scout or general manager or executive in, in, in general. What can they do as a player to kind of prep themselves, whether it's building connections or just those specific skills that you had when you got there? I, I think the biggest thing they can do is take steps to demonstrate that they don't want to be about it. They are about it. And I mean, people can say, well, I want to, when I get out of school, I want to do this and do that. Well, you're in a football building and why not talk to those coaches and say, Hey coach, Besides personnel meetings or anything like that, let me sit on meetings and let me understand. Or if you want to be in the personnel, go to the personnel department. Okay, give me a couple guys to start looking at, a couple high school guys. Or if I'm hosting the guy, let me see his film. Let me start practicing reports. If you want to be in ops, okay, uh, let me understand what you guys go through during the year and preseason in camp. What do you guys do? And then start thinking that way and start in involving yourself in those activities. So two things happen. You understand what it takes to get the job done and do the job. And then you decide this is something I might want to do or not. And then it also helps a future employer. And I used to tell this to everybody that would send resumes, those guys, 
well, I want my fantasy league, so I want to be a scout. I know I can do it. Okay, that to me tells me you're a fan. And when you get in here, you're going to be chasing around looking for autographs, or you're going to say, hey, it's Thanksgiving. I'm going to go, uh, we're going to my grandmother's for, for two days for Thanksgiving. <laughs> no, no, right. Hey, football is a holiday. No holidays in football. Right. But if you tell me, while I was at Penn State playing, I used to help plan camp with the ops guys, or I used to sit in with the recruiting coordinator and everybody they had me do host, I used to break down and write a report on. Then that tells me you know what it takes and you are willing to go above and beyond. And it's just not something because it's so popular now and you see XGMs on TV or on the radio, I want to be like that. No, you got to put in the work and know what the work entails. And a lot of people don't. And I, I think you gave a, a cheat code, right? Because that's like a, that's a technical, a tactical thing that you can actually do and implement as a player now. If you want to be a scout, if you want to be an ops, and all those different things. Because I can tell you, it was kind of built into my background where it was there. But I didn't, within the ecosystem, I, I was almost kind of like, well, I grew up in this, so I don't need to do that here. And that did lend well, or didn't lend well when I got done, right? Because it's like you still now you have to like reprove everything that I was kind of doing, but for those situations. And that's, that's great critical insight there. We talked to um, another athletic administrator, uh, Adele Sargent. He said the same thing about guys coming up and it's a time like your college years is a time when you administrators are open to helping and being resourceful for you, right? Like giving you the information and the keys to be Mm -hmm. successful for the next time. So that's very important. What if, I mean, I think you might've touched on this and if we're repeating, what a, what's the best advice for a scout, you know, moving up the ladder to become a general manager? What would you say they can do? I would say, business? I'd say the, the things that propelled me and I think are, are facets of someone's personality that lends well to being a scout and moving up the ladder in, in personnel, you have to be a self-starter. You have to be self-sufficient. You have to be independent because you got to think about it. You're really a contract worker because a lot of scouts don't live in a city where the team is. So you may only be in the building and around that or, or the football team and the, and your bosses, maybe two, possibly three times a year during camp. If you and the scouting meetings and that, that's you. So you really are never truly connected with the team. So you have to think of yourself as an independent contractor but also know that, okay, I am the CEO of my area. So I have the Northeast. They are basically saying, I'm a subsidiary of that team and I run the Northeast for the vertical and the department of, of, of the, the scouting department. So you gotta be have that thought process. But also I think the most critical things that the, the older I've gotten and the more I went up the ladder eras, being able to not only admit mistakes, but learn from your mistakes. Mm-hmm. Because the last, when I got to the to the hiring part of my career, where I had decisions over hiring, I would always say the biggest thing to disqualify a person is when I asked them, who'd you miss on? I never missed on anybody. You were done. <laughs> I'm out. I might as well just like, see it. I shake your hand. I'm done. <laughs> Never missed, huh? <laughs> never missed. 
So then, then you go, hey, if you never miss, then you need to go ahead and interview for my job. Because I'll <laughs> tell you, I missed a lot. But right. what I did is look, take that, what did I miss on and study why and get better from it. So that don't ever feel incompetent if you make a mistake. What I was always, I, what I enjoyed and actually put more stock in it are the guys that would admit mistakes before before you would even say, or you, you wrong. No, I was wrong on this dude. I'm sorry, I'm out, but here's why I did it. But I can see now why I made a mistake. And me as even as GM, we'd be reading reports. And if everybody had a third rounder or a four fifth rounder, and I had a one, I said, I'm not even reading my report because I got to be off. <laughs> so I, I would admit it, even as a boss. Right. So yeah. again, ability to admit, admit mistakes, but it's not a de detriment. Mistakes aren't a detriment. Now the detriment is not admitting it and not learning from it. Not learning and not admitting, not admitting your mistakes and having the awareness of that they're there. So don't shadow box for no reason and learn from it to continue to build on top of your skill set. That's the only way that you can continue to advance and move up any ladder or do your own thing. So as we continue to transition, now you're senior vice president of the XFL 3.0 and was the senior vice president of football operations of the 2.0. XFL brought a lot of value to the football ecosystem. And I just get upset because, you know, we were part, feel like we built something great there and pandemic happened. So a lot of people kind of, you know, bunching in with, with the previously or whatever the case may be, but it was completely different. And we brought a lot of value to the football ecosystem, whether it's guys like Kenny Robinson, who had a unique story coming from college, transitioning out to XFL and now, you know, finishing the league, starting at, with the Panthers. You got Taylor Heineke signing a contract. You got Pep uh, Hamilton is a quarterback coach and, and Ashton Washington is a, a, a scout for the, the Bears that got their start there. And it was like an incubation for the football ecosystem to continue to grow, to continue to move and develop. Can we talk about a little bit of the XFL? Yeah, I mean, it, you hit it. it. I think if you are a fan of football and you're a fan of everything that goes around with football, the more football is better. And it's not just the entertainment value and, and on the field product, but all the collateral positions that can be developed and have access to bettering themselves in the field that they enjoy, be it trainers, be it video people, be it ops, be it scouts, obviously coaches, but administrators. So it's just another way for this football ecosystem to give people livelihoods. And obviously everybody wants to make it to the NFL, but we hope, uh, obviously XFL 2.0 and XFL 3.0, we hope that at some point, hey, there is the level of the NFL that you can still make a living and do what you love at a XFL or a USFL or a indoor league or whatever. It's just football as a business. And I think a lot of people, when they talk about how sports are affecting the communities, they just think of game day and stadiums and what athletes get paid. But all those ancillary uh, businesses that have sprouted up from athletics it's just a nice economic engine that a lot of people can benefit from so when you have new leagues come on 
to the scene. It's again, giving people jobs and giving people a chance to live out what they've always dreamed to live out or have a chance to. So uh, I think it's people that there's a lot of people that have different views of the spring league. Oh, it's not going to work. It's trying to be a feeder system and blah, 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 blah. You can easily be critical. Absolutely. But look at the positive. <laughs> look at how many people we are employing now. You know what I mean? And how many different, think about it. When I came out, there was no option for me to go. It was either Canada, NFL, or maybe arena. But now you have so many different options to help you either for what circumstances you didn't get exposed to try to get to the NFL, or it helps you soften that transition. It's not as abrupt. You can slowly transition to the other phase of your life actually closing the door the one of the big things is when guys career is over it's like the door is shut it's like without any closure it just kind of left out there it's like the phone call it's like wait everything i've been working for is over now and and besides you know like you said the xfl providing an opportunity whether go to the nfl to close that door and give opportunities for again people that are transitioning out whether it's athletes transitioning want to be want to work in uh as a video a video manager or work as a coach work as an ops assistant just those different areas where you have critical insights to continue to build up with a great product. That's uh, something that I always found inspiring about the league in general. So can you give us any timelines on the 3.0 and when players should maybe expect, uh, you know, some yeah. insight on well, right. exclusives? Yeah, right now we're in the planning stages. Uh, we got to get a lot of stuff uh, hammered out. We got a baseline going. We will have some public-facing comments about the uh, player procurement process, what we're going to be doing in the summer, if we have any events in the summer for potential players. But uh, I, we got to get it all nailed down, and hopefully we'll have that uh, before the combine so we can uh, be public-facing not only to players but agents and stuff like that. Oh, that's perfect. That's perfect. And the XFL 2.0, one of the biggest, I guess, for me, one of the greatest accomplishments or achievements was being able to, like Kenny Robinson's story, like guy yeah. playing two years in college situation happens and the XFL provides this opportunity for him to show that he can play professional sports. He put him around a great staff with uh, Coach Hayes and the Lewis, uh, Coach Lewis and St. Louis at the time. And he transitions to the NFL. Can you take me through kind of that process a little bit? It was, uh, I'll give it all to uh, Oliver for luck. I mean, one of the things when, when I came on board to the XFL was we want to also have a pathway for guys that maybe in certain situations that if we weren't there, couldn't get to where they want to go. A non-traditional pathway to end up achieving their goals. And when he, when Kenny Robinson came to his, obviously him being uh, ex- WVU alum and not I mean uh, ex AD, but also in a, a WVU alum, he had ties to the program. And he came to me and says, Hey, look at this Kenny Robinson. He is the perfect person that we could use in the XFL, but he could also use us more than we could be entitled to, I wouldn't say use, but have him come in and, and help our league. Mutually and he was a guy that, yes, absolutely. It's, it's synergies and symbiotic relationships. Beautiful so business. obviously he was at the point where he, because of being academically eligible, he wasn't going to be play at WVU. If he transferred, he would have to sit out. And if he transferred, 
for a down, I think he was like, why do I want to do that? He probably would have unless we presented the possibility of the XFL for him. So it was a lot of between yourself, Oliver, his representatives, IO, we all got together and said, okay, what is the best plan for Kenny? And I think that is the main thing that sets how we set this up. It differentiates it from, hey, we just want to get Kenny because he can be a star in the XFL and we can use him to try to have this as an avenue for people to really think I have an alternate route than the traditional route. It was more of a holistic view of what's best for Kenny and his family. And if it helps that what we offer can perpetuate his end goal of making it to the NFL and being able to take care of his family and be able to play this year and show skill set so he doesn't have to sit out a year and then try to basically spin his wheels and have to reestablish himself as a prospect, why not do it? So it was a lot of hard work by everybody, but the biggest thing was a lot of communication and a lot of let's get it together where it's, like you said, mutually beneficial for both parties. And as you see, it, it, it I mean, it, it worked out great. And it, it's a testament to, first of all, though, Kenny, it is mm-hmm. a testament for him to be open and him surrounding himself with advisors and people to say, hey, listen, I'm not here to use you. I'm here to promote you and lift you up and let's find out the best way. So I, I, I have to give credit to it to everybody involved. That, and that was, I think this is the great symbiotic example of what the, kind of the, the value add that the XFL brings to the football ecosystem, right? As a, as a, a sustaining league that has like innovative things with, like from the business standpoint and actual good football going through the talent acquisition and s- seeing somebody end up in the NFL. You already reached a dream of becoming a general manager, football exec, senior level. What's your career end goal now or new mountain to scale? So that's funny you say that. I always, I'll answer it like this. I've just, I feel there's two people, type of people that are successful in this world. There's ambitious people and then there's driven people. And for me, an ambitious person has a one singular goal. Like I want to be this, whatever it is. And they are going to do whatever it takes to accomplish that goal. They are focused and they're not gonna let anybody deter or divert them from that goal. Right. That's great. I'm a driven person. And my and I'm the difference is, no matter what opportunity presents itself, I'm gonna drive myself to be the best at that. Now, for me, when you're a driven person, you never know where that road's gonna take you. Right. And you're always open for something new and saying, oh, all right, let me try that and uh-huh. go for that to drive to that and say hey let's say ambitious people you may miss some detours in the road and you could have been this or that but hey you drive for that and that's what you want me let's see what happens let's see what it takes i i, I love life i love experiences but more importantly i love new challenges and granted i s- conquered the gm role and that that went to the highest in the, the player evaluation and nfl exec role if that happens again, great. But if not, let me see what else. Now I'm now I'm at the league level. Let's try to build a league. I did it once. Corona hit. Now let's yep. try to do it again. I just love new challenges, and and I'm a competitive person. And that's that thing that transitioned from the field. You know, you yeah. you get 
compete on the field. Now you have to find another way. And that's, that's a, that's a tough thing to find something that can satisfy your competitive juices. And that's why I, I like that driven thought of, Oh, something new. I'm not scared of a challenge. And that's yeah. why when people, perfect example, people ask me, because we had just come off, um, it was 2010. We had, we were coming back. I was with the Steelers and we were, we were going to have a serious team. We knew it. And they actually yeah. went to the, to the, to the Super Bowl that year. People used to ask me, well, why would you leave Pittsburgh, a stable organization, got quarterback going to Buffalo and you're playing Tom Brady, you don't have a, a quarterback and they've had this extensive period not making the playoffs. What do you mean? Why am I doing it? I'm, because I'm a competitor, because I'm going to try to make it happen. Why wouldn't you? So yep. that's just my thought process in mind. Whatever it is, I'm going to try to be the best at it. That's an amazing answer, man. Driven versus ambitious. That's, a, that's the first time I heard that. And I, I like that, the driven aspect, because sometimes I know I get confused, right? It's like, I want to be right here. And it's like another opportunity. It's like, but at the same time, you want to reach the top at whatever you put yourself into. So I love that. And that that blue chip trait that you kind of use going through the transition, being a competitor, where you talk about it in wrestling was like the tactical things there was like that physical mental toughness. And that's like the aspect that kind of drip drove you through your executive role as a scout. So I really appreciate the time. Thank you so much, Doug, for joining us here for the Blueprints of Success series. Just as a quick recap, you know, Doug came in and just talked about from a, the football ecosystem, from an executive standpoint, and just going into it, understanding that you have special gifts that you lend into this whole business, right? Understanding going through with your eyes open and leaning on the, to those skills, being competitive at what you do, understanding and awareness of where you fit, and just trying to strive to be the best, right? You talk about being driven versus ambitious, ambitious, and don't be afraid to pick one or the other because, you know, just make sure you have your head down and talked about everyone's football journey being different and understanding that he was where his feet were when he got out of, you know, football, he was trying to become a stockbroker and also coaching at the same time and opportunities present themselves that he took advantage of and going into it with that competitive blue chip trait that he had that kind of lent well through his uh, maturation process. And parents remember like the recruiting process can be a benefit and a tool for you to help your kids mature faster or putting them in a situation we talked about critically thinking through that situation is a very big uh key for parents and families to understand going through that process that first critical point so remember to like and subscribe to the youtube channel and download our blue chip recruiting checklist thank you again and this was our episode of blueprint to success series thanks again doug appreciate it uh, my pleasure keep up the good work my man and thank you Life is good. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Blue Chip Academy. To help navigate the recruiting waters, LIG Sports Group put together a blue chip recruiting checklist. Download your checklist at LIGsports.com Blue Chip Academy to ensure you're making informed decisions through this process. Hit subscribe and check out the LIG Sports Group Football Ops Recruiting YouTube channel, where we'll talk about the recruiting and other critical points in the football ecosystem. If you're feeling stressed, confused, or just want help putting together a blue chip blueprint for you and your son, don't hesitate to book a console call with me at LIGsports.com backslash Blue Chip Academy. Remember, everyone has a different journey. Keep sharpening and remember that you can only go to one school. Just make sure that you have your blue chip blueprint together and execute it. Life is good. <laughs>